Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Kingdom Perspective. I'm your host, Brother Calvin Calhoun, and it has been a long time since we've done a podcast, and trust me, there's reasons for that, but I'm thankful and grateful to God for all that he has done. I'm thankful and grateful that he's kept us here, that we've been able to share the word once again with you, coming with some fresh bread from heaven. Well, today I just want to get right into our topic today, and we're talking about the necessity of change, the necessity of change. Why is it necessary for us to change? And one of the major uh, things that I've I've been able to grow into in in, in this generation, we've seen a lot of things come through my generation that has changed the world. We, We could talk about computers. We could talk about the Internet. We could talk about aviation. We can talk about a lot of things that have happened within uh, just my generation that changed the world. I'm pretty sure the previous generation, which would be my mother's generation, how they came through the civil rights era and how that type of change happened in America. And I'm pretty sure, especially in places like South Africa and other places, how culture has changed the world. But tonight I want to talk to you about necessity of change from a spiritual perspective. Um, let's look at um, Isaiah 43. We're going to start at verse number 18. Isaiah 43, uh, verse 18. It says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls. Because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. What a very powerful scripture. But notice the Lord says, behold, look. That's what behold means, to look. I will do a new thing now. It shall spring forth, that means come out, and you and shall you not know it. Now, one of the major things that has changed in this apostolic reformation season, and this is actually rather old for us who've been in the season for a while, I would say it's old. It's starting, we're starting to rather cement ourselves um, in it, is the culture of, of father and son. And um, we talk about church culture and how it evolved from the first century church into the early 1500s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, Azusa Street, and then you get the denominations, the Care Mag movement. Now you have this father-son wineskin that is rising in the earth. So many are pressing into this father-son wineskin. But let me tell you some of the, the, the effects that, the problems that the church is having right now because men are living in this day. And we see various different ways of doing things, and we see various things that are hindering people from maturing. We know that the focus of God is to mature his sons to be like him. That is the focus of God is to mature us because that's how the spiritual house is built. That is how the kingdom is advanced. It's advanced by what? Maturing the son. Okay? Now, 
when we look at the current state of the church, we know that the church has come a long way. If we could just start, let's just purview back to to the 1950s and the 60s. We know we had Azusa Street, and then we come up to the 1950s and 60s, and we have a growth of denominational churches. Okay, we see uh, we have the Baptists, Southern Baptists, Primitive Baptists, Presbyterian, Lutheran, United Methodist, African Methodist, Episcopal Church. You have all these various churches, denominations, and all of them were built on a piece of revelation about God. Now, let me tell you something. God is continuously unfolding more of himself as man changes. Listen to me. As man changes, God is showing more and more of himself. Why? Because he desires for us to know him as Father, and we are to be changed uh, uh, glory to glory. Let's, let's look at this scripture real quick. Second Corinthians 3. Everybody turn to Second Corinthians 3, verse number 17. It says, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, we got that. But we all, talking to the church, we all with open face, looking, beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed. There goes that word that we talked about, the change. Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, when you look at this, it says what? We are being changed into the same image. What image? The image of the Son. It says we're being changed into that same image from glory to glory. Now, let me tell you something. None of us, I mean, we can look around, none of us ever stay a baby. We grow, our limbs get bigger. As our limbs get bigger and we make a greater capacity, our organs get bigger to support the weight and the bones get bigger to support the structure of the body. So we are continuously evolving and growing. What if I was to tell you that the church should be doing the same thing? Well, what happens is, and and this is a major reason we have this major gap between the younger generation and the older generation. Well, what happened is the older generation had a lot of fundamental things that this younger generation needs. One, there was faith in God. Of course, if you think back to a lot of the people moving through the civil rights movement, a lot of especially African-American churches, the heart of that movement, the leaders came out of the church. A lot of them were in the church. The church was the community. It was the family. It was the centerpiece of the black community going through the civil rights time, okay? But when we got out of the civil rights time, freedom, this word freedom, began to take on a whole new meaning, where now you have a a culture of people that's saying, well, I'm not going to do what my parents did. I'm not going to discipline my children. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But also, more dangerously, they did not hold on to the traditions and the ways of their ancestors, okay? So, for example, we will always go to church. You will always do this. You will always do that. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with going to church. The Bible says that the house of God should fellowship together. But the problem is from 1970 
2015, the church should have grown. And I'm not talking about growing in the sense of numbers. I'm talking about growing in maturity. But the problem is is that many of the old held on to the traditions and that piece of revelation that God gave them back then and never moved into the current uh, revelation and the current uh, uh, illumination of God's word and what God desires to do today. Remember now that the son has to mature. So to mature, you can't keep talking about breast milk. You have to start moving them to meat, solid foods. Okay, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter six verse one speaks of the elementary doctrines and says, "This will we move from the principal doctrines of Christ if you permit." And there are so many leaders that still need to teach, and many of them, unfortunately, still need to go through elementary doctrines. Okay, elementary doctrines is a great topic. So go if you don't know where they are. It's, it's Hebrews chapter six, uh, verse number one. But the the scriptures say that we've been changed, glory to glory. The son was changed. But what happened is the the older generation did not want to evolve. They believed what they had was right, is right then, is right now. But what happens is you stay in that position when God desires to do something new. And let me tell you, and I'm telling you as one who's come out of the institutional church, I have nothing against the people within the church. We love the people in the church. I do not like the system. I do not like the system that the people are under, one, because it holds them hostage. How does it hold them hostage? It holds them hostage by man's rules, by governance as it relates to a democratic process. Yeah, democratic process. A lot of these churches now have board, executive boards, and this board and that board. And it's amazing that when you go back in Scripture, you'll never find that. I've heard of apostolic councils. I've heard of councils of fathers. But I've never heard of an executive board, okay? But, that, but you know, everything within your church or within your body believers should lie with the word of God. Accountability is father's son. That is the accountability that God set up that fathers would father sons, who would become fathers themselves, who would father sons, and that is how the holy nation is built. Remember, says you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Now, God gives you the type of shadow for the nation. Um, back in the Old Testament, you look at Israel, where you had Israel, who was Jacob, of course, and how many boys did he have? He had 12 sons. Those 12 sons had children. Those children had, those sons became fathers themselves, became the patriarchs and all that. And so then you get down to 42 generations and you get Christ, which, who ushers in the immortal generation, which is us, which is the sons of God. Okay, we are the immortal 42nd generation. We are the spiritual Israel of God. We are the time clock of God. We are what God is using us as the time clock. Now, if you've got a problem with that, you need to go back and read that Bible because God will not use the unrighteous as a time clock. The time clock of God is in the earth corporate sun. Now, let's get back to being the necessity of change. Well, what happens is God, and everybody quotes this, Romans 12, chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this. It says that 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed. That means change. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, it's by the renewing of our mind that we are changed glory to glory. It's by our obedience to the word that we are being changed glory to glory. Now, like we said before, if you look at this growing gap within the church right now, you're starting to see a lot of people move from institutional, institutional, denominational religion. And a lot of them are going to non-denominational churches, but the but some of the problems that you have even with that is if the, the non-denominational church is not built according to the structure that the Father has set in the earth, in the Bible, then guess what? You're no better than the denominational church, and at best you're making up things as you go. It's called an ad hoc spirituality. You kind of just make it up as you go. But no, that is not. God is a God of order, and there is a way that God wants to do things. Now, I want to show you this beautiful prophecy. Everybody turn to Isaiah 2. I'm telling you, I love this prophecy. This always just sends chills up my spine when I read it because those who are spiritual can see this happening today. They can see this establishing that's happening. Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, the word, of, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and we, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, let me just <laughs> share this with you. Listen to what he says is established. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days that the, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. The Lord establishes house, but what's the house? The house, not the physical building. The house in Scripture, and this is where we in the Western world get our languages and our meanings really confused compared to biblical terms. We think of house as being building. No, house is actually family. House is actually family. The family, it says, in, so you can switch house and say family and say, and, in the, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's family shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow what? To it. And it says, and many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go up into the mountain to the Lord, to the family of God, of the God of Jacob. And he shall teach us of his ways, and we shall walk in his path. So in other words, this is about a family. This is about a family of sons. Now, the problem that we're having is traditional church has made you a member. And so you live through the dictates of membership and club. Why? 
You're forced, forced, compelled to pay time, honor, and as a celebration of your sonship, and it should be freely given. But no, people use the Old Testament scripture of Haggai saying you're robbing God when he's actually talking to Levitical priests, but you are not a Levite priest. You are of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And that's why the New Testament, it says Jesus loves what? A cheerful giver because it's a matter of the heart. Okay? It's a matter of the heart. Now, I want to show you this real quickly, and I'm about to wrap this up, and I'm probably going to pick this message up in the test of change in part two. I'll do a part two because I really haven't gotten to half of what I really wanted to share with everybody. But look at Isaiah chapter 42. I'm going to show you this. Isaiah chapter 42, let's look at verse number, seeing many things, but thou observest not. Opening the ears, but he heareth not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. What in the world is he talking about? magnifying the law. When you magnify something, you enlarge it, you expand it. So in other words, please understand, there's two different laws in the Bible. There's the law of God, and then there's the law of Moses in the Old Testament, okay? Now, the law of God, which we know as the Ten Commandments, is active today. Let me repeat that again. The law of God, which is the moral law, is active today. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, all of them, and thou shalt keep. Uh, yeah, th- those laws are active today. The law that was inactivated or it was fulfilled, it was completed in Christ, was the law of Moses, which is a ceremonial law. The law of God is active today just as it was back then. But the ceremonial law, which is called the law of Moses, was fulfilled in Christ. But notice that Christ says right here, the Lord is well pleased for his right to say he will magnify the law. The law he magnifies is his moral law. How do we know this? Because when it says thou shalt not um, cover another man's wife, Jesus magnifies that and says what? If you even, you should not commit adultery. I'm sorry, you should not commit adultery. Jesus magnified that says if you even look upon a woman. See, in the Old Testament, it would have been if you actually committed the act. But in the New Testament, it says if you even look upon a woman and lust after her in your mind, you've already committed adultery. When it speaks about the Sabbath day, God magnified the Sabbath day. We know he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is the day of the Lord. We as the sons of God are living in the day of the Lord. So the Sabbath day is not contained to one day, particularly in our calendar, but the Sabbath day is the day of the Lord that we come to rest from our labors. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you Sabbath. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and love me, for my yoke is even bird light, and you shall find rest for your what? Soul. So there's a gift that's given. There's a gift of rest that's given to those who come to Christ. And then if you learn of Christ, you will find rest for your soul. And if you read Hebrews chapter 4, you will understand that the Sabbath day is today. He says, today, if you do not harden your heart. Today. 
So in other words, the Sabbath day is not one day contained in our calendar. That's what religion has told us up to this point. But Christ magnified the law. So there's a necessity to change from the mentality of the Sabbath day just being a Saturday or even a Sunday, whichever one you want to pick it, I don't really care. But the Sabbath day is the day of the Lord that we are living in. And sons of God who know God's Father are experiencing this Sabbath day rest now. It doesn't matter what day you worship on. It does not. But the Sabbath day was all about resting from your labor. Okay? We thought, yeah, let me show you another scripture real quickly. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me tell you how things change, how things evolve. If you're not willing to change, you're going to get left behind. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 13, it says, Wherefore I desire, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, that's the sons of God, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, Jew and Gentile, into one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were not. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and of the household of God. Now, look at that beautiful thing. You, before Christ, you were what? You were a stranger and a foreigner. But when you come into Christ, you're now a citizen of the kingdom and a son of God. You had to change. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. You have to evolve. There's a constant evolving that has to happen within us as the sons of God. And passive you, you hold on to your tradition, you hold on to your your revelation that you had fifty years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. It will become null and void because it will not have the capacity to mature people in the current day. At best, you can bring them up to a certain point, but we are to be continuously going. Everyone who's on this earth who is a son of God should be continuously maturing until the day we die. But institutional church, religion, has handcuffed people from maturing, and now they're under the ordinances of man. I talked to a brother today who was a father of um, denomination, and, I, and he said one of the most powerful things he felt was I was at a conference, not a conference, but a uh, convention. And as I was walking out of the church, I saw him coming in. I shook his hand and said, hey, brother, how you doing? You doing okay? Great. And, and his lasting words to me is, you're the first brother to ever just say hello to me and shake my hand. I was like, wow. And he was a pastor. The pastor. And so today I ran into him and we talked. And um, one of the things that it shows the grip that institutions and church has, he realizes that what they're doing is not accurate 
but because he's connected, there's no other choice. No, there is a choice. But are you willing to be bold enough to step out? And let me give you an example. There was Abraham, who God said, get up and leave your family and kindred. There was Moses, who was once a prince of Egypt, and then he had to be changed to become the leader of the people of Israel. And confront, there was David, who was a shepherd boy, who was changed from just being a shepherd boy to one who God used mightily to defeat Goliath, who God used mightily to bring the nation of Israel up into its prominent time. Then there was Solomon. Of course, there was Solomon. Now we go from a man of war to a man of what? Peace. A man of wisdom. Okay? We had Nehemiah who burned in his heart, who was sad for the fact that his father's walls of his father's city lay in ruin, and he desired to build the walls of Jerusalem back up. That's changed. He remember when God took children, the children of Israel out of Egypt, they had to be transformed in their minds. And all this transformation in the mind of who they were and what they were to be and who they were called to be, who they were before 432 years of slavery. Yes, all that had to be done in the wilderness. And understand, each and every son of God has to come through the wilderness. You can't skip that process. The wilderness is a very, it can be a very painful, but it also will be a very powerful, maturing process because it's within the wilderness that you can't grow your own crop. It's in the wilderness that you won't be able to, to get the water by your own means. Those things are supernaturally met. God fed his people supernaturally in the wilderness to let them know, to let them know that he was their father and they were his son. God wants to do supernatural things and show you that you are his son and he is your father. But you've got to evolve. You've got to accept change. You've got to hear the word of the Lord and say, okay, the season for this is done. I put away childish things, now I become a man. So the season for this is done. Church, we need to move in this direction. But the pride of men put people in bondage because they don't want to change because they're fearful of believing that the position they were in was wrong. So a body of believers is to come under the pride of an individual, of a leader, a private leader that will not admit we've been doing it wrong. The quicker that a leader repents and changes, the easier and the better it will be. But I can promise you now, the grip that institutional church has on people and their mindset is extremely strong, but God is stronger. We know God is breaking chains. I'm watching sons come out of the institutional church who need fathering. Yes, fathering. That, that's why Paul would say, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. So I send my beloved son, Timothy, to show you of my ways which are in Christ. See how that, see how that generational work, Christ, he says, I've come to show you the father. That's what Jesus said. So Paul says, I send my beloved son. He called Timothy my beloved son. At the Church of Corinth, they talk about, I am of Apollos, I am of Stephen. And, and we know it was speaking of divisions, but they were speaking of the household that they were a part of, the spiritual household. The church must come back to its roots of being a family and being community. Apostolic culture is about relationship. It's not about rituals. It's not about performing to God. God wants your heart. 
He wants you to know who you are. He wants you to live who you are. He wants to mature you, but he knows that you need spiritual fathers to do it. That's why in Ephesians 6, if people want to think that spiritual fathers are taboo, because remember, you know you don't want to change. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who are your parents in the Lord? Because in the Old Testament, it said, children are honoring thy father and thy mother. But distinctly, Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So even spiritual fathering and spiritual parenting is a change from the old cry and the old traditional way. This is why change is necessary. We're in a new season. We're in a new season. And unless you change, you will die with the old grace. You will be immature. So I desire that you come out. I desire that you trust God. I desire that you search the scriptures for who you are. And may God bless you and keep you as a prayer. Till we meet again on the Kingdom Perspective. God bless you. I love you. Have a nice